Welcome to Project Chatter, the podcast where PPM experts from various sectors talk about the latest trends. Listen to Val and Dale as they talk about tried and tested best practices and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to progress your career, improve your project control skills, or just want to hear an Aussie and South African rant about projects, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast with your hosts, Dale Fung and Val Matthews. Innate construction software transforms the way owners, contractors, and engineers manage projects and programs. With Innate, you get an integrated project controls platform that solves challenges in every phase of the capital project lifecycle. These are field-tested solutions that give stakeholders the information they need to minimize risk, improve operational efficiency, and control project costs. Innate, transforming the way the world builds. Learn more at innate.com. That's I-N-E-I-G-H-T dot com. Project Chatter is sponsored by JustDo.com. JustDo.com is a cutting-edge next-gen project management portfolio platform which doesn't force you into a project structure or hierarchy. Think of it as the Minecraft of project management systems with integrated task-based chat, Gantt, Kanban, and much more. It's the only 21st century real-time platform available today. In this episode, we talk to Dr. Tammy Watchhorn about ninja moves on projects. Dr. Tammy Watchhorn is trained as a scientist before moving into the complex landscape of healthcare to lead change. Tammy shares her stories and her approach to leading change widely on social media and in national media and industry publications. She's also a regular keynote speaker at conferences. Now, Val, we loved this episode with Dr. Tammy Watchorn because she's very knowledgeable in the change space. She's she spent many years, um, actually, she's a scientist um, by origin mm. as well. And you got into a bit of the neuroscience of it all as well. We kicked the ties a lot around the, the pandemic and the impacts uh, globally, mm. which I think you quite enjoyed. But um, what, what were the, the bits that stuck out for you other than my internet not working? <laughs> no, it's okay. I think, uh, you know, change has been always presented as a certain way, but we talked about the resistance. We talked about unique and innovative ways, you know, accessing and analyzing and perhaps adopting the cube method with Eddie Obeng and uh, a lot more. And I think she was very versed in that and also looking forward to her book release this week. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the other one probably to look out for is her stealth moves that she talks mm. about in the podcast. So folks, we'll leave it there for you. Uh, enjoy this one. As we say, keep listening, keep liking, and keep paying it forward. Hello, project people. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Project Chatter podcast. It's always great to have you with us. And we have Dale in the room somewhat. I know he's having internet troubles, but he's there in darkness. Dale, how are you, sir? There he is. I'm good, thank you. I've turned the video on, so maybe you can see me. I do have some bandwidth issues. But um, yeah, other than that, good, good thing. So I think what he's trying to say is he's good, but he sounds like he's had one or two kicks to the head and slightly concussed. <laughs> but we do appreciate you, Dale, joining in. And uh, let's, in, let's introduce our guest today. Uh, Tam, Tammy, Wachon, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. It is our absolute pleasure to talk to you uh, today because obviously there is so much we can go around. Change is imminent and uh, is the norm now. And so for me... Um, I've actually had a few conversations on this podcast with, with change people, people like, um, uh, people from ProSci, Tim Creasy. And, uh, you know, what we do know is that change isn't necessarily uh, common sense. We think we can handle change until it happens. And, and then it's a kind of an, oh shit moment. And no one really knows where to go. There's a bit of, um, a leadership crisis, I would say, on some of these major projects as well, particularly around how to deal with change. Um. It's a fascinating subject, and I know we're going to get into all the detail and all the, the bits that uh, we call geeks speak. Um, tell me, for your perspective, though, I mean, how did you get into change? Where did it start for you? Oh, long, long time ago. Um, I used to be a scientist in the dark, dark and past, but I was far too impatient for um, <laughs> dicking around with Petri dishes <laughs> themselves. 
What kind of scientist? <laughs> biochemist. Okay, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just watching cells grow was not my thing. Mm. So I moved into project management. I did all the traditional, you know, I did the Prince 2 and then MSP and did program management before getting into strategy and planning. And then latterly, um, this was all in the health service in the UK. Latterly, I moved into innovation um, and really trying to focus on changing how we worked really you know mm. everyone's trying to do innovation but for me a lot of it was just gadgets so it was it was um exploring how we worked and how we led change and how we managed change and delivered it was a real kind of um eye-opener for me because we were doing all of these you know everyone had these courses and certificates but we were just following process and so it was like how do we actually you know move away from that what the um that worrying about change when it happens to making it much, much easier for people. Um, and I think uh, another eye-opener was when talking to change managers who all say they love change because that's their job, but they're doing it to other people. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> reflecting on that and shifting, sure. you know, it's, it's, it's fine when it's for other people, but most, most of us don't like change. Whatever we say, no. we don't like change. My question around that is why? Why don't, is it a human biological thing? Is it something we grow up with? I, yeah, I think it is deep seated in us from our ancient brains, you know, running around gather, hunter gathering. Your brain sees change as a threat. So mm. if something looks wrong in the morning when you're out hunting and gathering, your brain's going to see that as a threat and you put, puts you into threat mode. And that's the same. And, and you know, we're faced with change all day we're, and we're inundated with things shifting. So our brain is constantly under threat from all mm. of these perceived things going on. And without the knowledge of that and a different way of um, kind of handling that data, then we are going to be in that threat state. We need to shift from that into a much more toward reward state. So, and I don't think we can change that. It's, it's you know, that's how we've evolved as humans. Yeah. Is it also because of where we're hip, we're kind of habitual by, by nature. We, I mean, I know this for, for a fact, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm on automatic and, yeah. you know, I get up quite early, I do my thing. And these, the way I drive to work is a particular way. I actually found out the other day it was actually longer, but I like going that way. And <laughs> I don't want to go the other way. So, so is there something around just that repetitive behaviors then just becomes a part of our, our daily work schedule. And we, we kind of don't want to disrupt that because it is, you know, comfortable perhaps. Yeah. Um, and again, it's back to your archaic brain because the more you do something, the more automated it is, the more you do it without thinking about it, the less energy your brain's using. So the more happy your brain is. As soon as you mm. change, you're going to have to remember a new route and your brain saying, I've not seen this before. So it do, even if, you're, if, if you don't think that it's a threat, your brain will be perceiving it in a very different way. And your brain's always looking out for threat. So two, you know, six, I think it's 60, 70% of the time, it will see something new as a threat rather than a good thing. Look at a headline in the paper. You're much mm. more likely to see it as a threatening headline than a good thing because that's what's scanning the environment constantly for those changes and then it needs to do something with it and that's much more energy um and it you know it needs a lot more energy when it's doing that um so that and then you've got you know if you go back to the hunter gatherer you need more food so you're in that perpetual cycle and i think with today's world we're all in that all the time mm. um, i actually think you're right that there's more, i thought it was decision fatigue but maybe it is change fatigue as well um, changing things up means new experiences. Your brain has to learn something new. Um, it can be dangerous doing that, yep. changing route. And so there's a protective kind of, um, I guess, decision box in there somewhere saying, whoa, 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 why are we yeah. doing this? Is it worth it? And yeah. then what is the process? I mean, from a change perspective, I mean, the thing with change that I find interesting is if you go to a change manager that they love change, they're so good at it. Actually yeah, the, but the they're chaos. doing then they're doing it for somebody else. It's not their change. That's not or, their change. Yeah. Even if it's going to affect them, they have control over it. Gotcha. So you know, gotcha. we do so like it, change yeah. when we can control it because it's a choice. So if you're a change mm. manager, you're either you know you're rolling out a new software system. You don't have to use it. <laughs> That's true. You're just rolling it out. You're just doing your job. You're doing the same thing every day. It's just a different yeah. product at the end. You know, if you're a bricklayer. You might build a hotel one week or a house the next. You don't care. You're just laying bricks. 
And I think, you know, we think change managers are really good at change, but they're good at leading the change for other people because it's not impacting on them. So they can be in a much more towards state and less in the fear state and much more logical. Because when you're in the fear state, your emotions override logic. Mm. So, you know, if you 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 have a fight with somebody and they tell you to calm down, logically, you know, you should. But you don't. It's like the worst thing to say to anyone, isn't it? It's calm down. Oh, it's great. Yeah, if you certainly want to escalate uh, an argument, just say calm down, uh, especially to a woman. Emotion beats logic when you're in a fierce state. Don't tell me to calm down. Yeah, I I actually was thinking as well, you write about change. I was thinking, Tammy, imagine if you wanted to move house. For you, it's a nightmare. And uh, if I want to help you, I mean, I'm the change agent, right? I can come and help you make that change, but it doesn't affect me as it would you because it's it's a nightmare, right? Yeah. The new place, you got to get all your stuff organized and some of these projects, yeah. Tammy, really do need someone to move house for them and, and clean the cupboards yeah. and and do the, uh, the the final checks because they don't yeah. really know where to go. There's so much movement. Um, and by the way, it's not moving in the same direction, Tammy. So if you go down to the lower levels, and when I say lower levels, I mean the detailed work, mm-hmm. the guys out there on the coal face doing the physical labor versus the people in the office who are maintaining, reviewing and, and inspecting um from a from a from a kind of um, a holistic desktop view they have different priorities even if the objective is the same yeah and one of the challenges i know dale will, will jump in at some point around this is how how do you get cohesion of change because i think for me I, I understand change and i think a lot of people out there do like they appreciate the element i think we're seeing a lot more of change managers in projects which is a good sign uh, but once they got them they don't really know what to do with them is that comms do we put them over here? Where do they sit? And I kind of see them kind of being integ- you know, a bit like project controls, being very vertical, integral from every single point down. Um, but I don't think I've seen, not yet anyway, and you, you help me with this, uh, cohesion of change. What's your yeah. view on that? Um, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's where the whole process of project management and um, delivering change can fail because it's process driven. It's all about people. If you can get the main people who you need to enact the change for you around the table, agreeing what the problem is, agreeing a solution, getting aligned, collaborating before you even start your project, then they'll be sitting waiting for it. They'll want it because it's something they've come up with. And I don't think we spend enough time doing mm. that. Um, we talk about engagement, but really we're just telling people stuff. You want this yeah. because it's going to make your life better. But we haven't asked them whether their life they want their life to be better or how they would what they would change so i for me it's really about proper proper good people management people engagement understanding where people are coming from those different perspectives they've all got a different perspective and they're all right so mm-hmm. how do you bring that together and work on that uh, you know align that group of people or that stakeholder group so that they come up with the answers themselves i don't know if you've ever been coached but mm-hmm. The, you know, the way to change you is to get your own insights. If I tell you to go to bed early because you, you're not sleeping well, you're not going to do that. If you come up with an insight that says, right, I'm going to go to bed at eight and read my book till nine, you'll do it. You'll do it because it's your own insight. So I think for change, people need to come up. You need to facilitate the process for people to come up with their own insights around what needs to change, why it needs to change and what the solutions need to be. So it's very close to behavioral elements because I know we, you know, for the first time, probably actually, I think I was in London, I was working in London and they sent all the leaders out, Tammy, to this uh, leadership course, you know, the two-day courses, yeah. the typical, everyone gets Cheap the box dip. ticked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but what was interesting is they had this guy from Deloitte come in and a uh, great guy, uh, really just came in, started talking and it wasn't until the end he goes, thanks very much. Um, so look, I'm a business psychologist and I do this and I do that. I'd never heard of a business psychologist in my life. Yeah. <clears throat> and I was so intrigued. I came up to him after the the, the, the course and I said, well, what does a psychologist do? And he kind of gave me a little rundown. I'm like, well, some of that I understood. And uh, and more and more now I'm, I'm realizing that uh, there, are, there are two streams kind of impacting or influencing project change. Now, one of them is technology. We know this hands down uh, across all projects. Technology is a beast and change is imminent around technology. And some of it's good. Some of it's not good, but the other one is, is behavioral and it's, it's more around uh, culture and it's more around um, more of a diverse leadership model rather than yep. these hierarchies that are in place yep. at the moment. And I do believe there is a place for structure too. I'm not saying there isn't, I, can't, I don't think we can all sit on beanbags and, 
and uh, play ping pong all day. But I do think there is a there is a kind of a a meet in the middle somewhere. Yeah. What, what do you see change in culture and technology shaping over the next probably five to ten years? Oh, um, I don't know, because I thought um, with the COVID and lockdown, we would have, you know, there was this forced way of working differently. People were using digital a lot more. I thought it would shift patterns of behavior. Um, and it didn't. I think we we kind of brought the old world bad behaviors into the Zoom world and added some more bad behaviors. Mm. And I think we, we lost a real opportunity there to do do things differently. Um, I also, do you know, technology is important. There's lots of really good emerging stuff, but sometimes we jump straight to a technology solution. And then we expect people to change to meet the technology that we've put in place. And we're not starting with the human behavior and the psychology of what we need, and then finding the tech that will support that. And I, I would love if that shift, you know, we, you, you've got metaverse. Um, mm. It's not based on what people want. It's going to be this thing that's pushed on people and they will learn how to use it. It's not been designed for people. And I'd love to see us actually stopping and just saying, what do we actually need that would enhance us, enhance how we work, enhance our behaviors, enhance our cultures, and then go and find a tech solution. And I think we get it wrong most of the time. And I don't know if that's going to change, but that's I'm optimistic. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm optimistic too. I, I think as well, the other thing that I've noticed really probably in the last three or four years, perhaps maybe five years, is language. The way in which people turn a phrase, the way the words we, we use, particularly nominalizations, those big words that are abstract, and the interpretation of those words is so interesting at the moment because there is a play on words happening, a bit of a, a word battle, if you like, on, in and definition battle in projects. So now words are being used for different things where we're seeing a lot more marketing being used to help yeah. flare up some of these changes and transitions. What's, what's your view? You're smiling with me now. Yeah. What, uh, what is your view on that? Buzzword bingo, isn't it? You know, Buzzword bingo. We yeah, were innovating it. five years ago. Now we're transforming. It's, <laughs> it's, it's just, what you know, the latest thing it was agile now it's, I don't even know what it is now, but it, we just get these phrases and when we apply them and they lose all meaning because some people will be doing them as they were intended, but they mm. become so watered down. They, they don't have any meaning. I don't think, I don't, you know, everyone is transforming, but I don't know anyone who is actually transforming. They're just doing improvement projects or change projects. They're going to look exactly the same at the end, just with a new bit of tech mm. or something. Um, yeah, I get lost in it. Yeah. There's so many new, I mean, I have, we learned one last week, I think it was digital thread, you know, and still, <laughs> I'm still, I'm still trying to grasp digital twin. And then someone's a digital thread. And I'm, where's the blanket, digital blanket. Are we, you know, just ask, I, what is it? Just in simple words, yeah. what is it? What do you mean? Well, so I think maybe your scientific background has helped you, Tam, and kind of maybe helps you in the change space. And I actually think there are elements of that that we really need to bring into the project space, that 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 rigor, that curiosity, that inquiry point, and also, you know, evidence-backed. And when it comes to change, I think the best thing we can do is ask reasonable questions. And sometimes mm. it's the quality of the questions that we ask helps us elicit the change process. And how do you go about I mean, projects or wherever you applied change, how do you kick it off? What's the, do you have a, a kind of a pre-template? Do you sit down and say, right, why are we here? Well, whereabouts do you start on the journey? So I use something called Cube, uh, which is uh, Cube with a Q, cube.cc, which is a virtual workspace. It's been around for 20 years, long, long before um, COVID and all of these drop-in spaces. It's, it actually looks like an office. It's got your whiteboards. Is that, um, is that Eddie Bangs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's great. He's fantastic. Yeah. So, so I bought Cube into the health service when I worked there, and now I work with Eddie um, uh, and do most of the most of my work is on Cube. So we would get team together for starting a project. We do some basic things, like we always start with something called hopes and fears. So mm -hmm. everyone, we don't, I don't send out an agenda because that's my agenda. It's not everyone else's agenda. So we just capture on sticky notes. What's your hopes for today? What fears have you got? We then get rid of the fears. So everyone's relaxed and they're comfortable putting up things that they're worried about. 
put the hopes into an agenda and then we do something called spin casting so check in with everybody who's in the meeting room that they're comfortable with that anything else they want to add that way everyone knows they're included no one's talking over each other you get to hear from everybody so you get that equality of voices coming through um, and then if we were starting a new project might be a bit of this is what we've been asked to do no solutions and then we would pull up one of the tools, one of Eddie's tools called PETS, Performance Enhancement Tools. Uh, we do one called a five Ps. Uh, I might bring that up, which has got purpose, principles, people, process, and performance. And we just get everyone to put sticky notes on. And very, very quickly, within five, 10 minutes, you've pretty much got a project brief that everyone's aligned around. Wow. So they know what the purpose of it is, and that more, but I really push the outcomes. What is, what is it you're trying to achieve? Because that's quite often missing. You know, be, we'll do this, this, but we don't, you know, focus in what is, the, what is the actual outcome that you're looking to achieve? What performance level um, are you trying to achieve? So really focus on facilitating that conversation. And because we do it in that way and we check in with everyone using the spin casting, you do get the diversity of thinking. We also write before we talk, which gets diversity of thinking um, as well, but it allows people to be more creative. Because if you just ask a question of a group, somebody who's quite loud and opinionated will give you their loud opinion and it shuts mm -hmm. down conversation. And someone might try and change the narrative or try and change the steer of it, but they'll likely get shut down, particularly if they're a bit more introvert. So writing before you're talking means everyone will put stuff up and you can see what's, what everyone else is putting up. So that loud opinion that is just a loud opinion, it will just get sidelined, but in a really nice way because it mm. won't be part of the the what you've placed it on the board so it will still be there but you won't focus on it so together you'll work out the key areas that you need to focus on and then you can move on to the next bit and you can I've done that with a team in 10 minutes easy and we've got we've basically got a project brief I know it's not the documented thing that you need for your system to get signed off but as a team you know what it is you're trying to achieve and you're all mm -hmm. on the same page how do you deal with resistance because there's always someone um that just really isn't on board and you know they're sitting in the corner they've got their hands crossed or their arms crossed and they're they're not really a team player but they're technical in nature and i find this with engineering teams not that the engineers are bad i'm just saying they have done it a certain way they've been brought up a certain way why fix it if it ain't broke kind of conversation i know this is probably something you've dealt with before how do you deal with resistance I think in that situation, because you're checking in and doing the writing before you're talking and reading through, uh, you know, I will give you a chance. I said, Val, you, you've not put any stickies up. Mm. Is there something you want to add? So, and it, this, the nature of the space is very safe. So it gives people psychological safety. There's something about it. We don't use cameras. So that helps with psychological safety. You're actually listening to people properly. And it just creates a much safe space. So we tend not to get much in terms of resistance. The other thing is we're working really fast. If you were doing a project brief with a team and you were doing it in a meeting room, you'd probably book it out for an hour and a half and there'd be stickers everywhere and the guy would be sitting in the corner with his arms folded because you've not engaged him. But the way we do it, we've engaged everyone from the start. He might have put on his fears. I think this is a complete waste of time. So then facilitating, and this is where I think we need really good change managers, is actually to do the facilitation of some of these conversations. And it's probably not a skill set a lot of change managers have now, but I think facilitation is really, really key to that, to facilitate the conversation. So getting him engaged, asking why he doesn't agree with it. If he says there's no point doing it, then I'd pull out another tool and say, well, let's work through what we think the issue is and see where we get to. So adapting the tools to get there so that everyone is on board. And it, do you know, it possibly knows something we don't know. So mm. let's find out what it is. He might have, yeah, you know, he might have a three-line bit of code that would fix the issue. We don't need to replace yeah. the system. <laughs> but yeah. no one's asked him. <laughs> no. I love the fact that, you you know, this kind of rapid onset of uh, and spin casting, these words. I mean, Eddie was great. He was really good at explaining. He even had some, some demos he shared with us about Cube. And uh, I love that you brought technology into the conversation so it, it kind of i guess it uh disarms some of the some of the apprehension to use technology because i do certainly know uh people that have been probably on projects for 30 years and now you're asking them to use a novel system to do a novel exercise yeah and 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 then come out there kind of ready to go um how do you get people on board and without 
perhaps cube if they don't have access to cube you could still run this same kind of workshop in house you still run the same workshop in house yeah. you still use the same pets you know if you're on a zoom call or a teams call you can still do spin casting to engage everyone you can still ask everyone to share their hopes and fears at the start of a session mm. um and and that way you again you're checking in um but i think it needs to be interactive as soon as you sit as the project lead and you're just talking everyone is on the phone switch the camera off no one is listening they're playing with the cat so <laughs> it needs to be not you talking all the time facilitating yeah. conversation using tools or frameworks to help pull that together and having something visual so mm. you know you've you've got mural boards you've got there's so much out there now none of, i would say none of them are equate to cube and this it's night and day but they're a vast improvement on everyone sitting on teams with the cameras off not mm. paying any attention someone talks for an hour have you used um, Facebook's workroom in I've VR? Not, no. Yeah, so we're, we're, I think Dale and I are going to give it a bit of a try for one of our podcasts. So we'd, we'd be happy to, if you've got the VR gear, or maybe we'll just bring some people on like Eddie O'Bang and yourself, just have a bit of a play. Um, it's more of a, I don't know how we're going to film it, but it does have some of those things you mentioned, not necessarily the same as uh, But this Q, is but back it's... to the tech and humans. It's tech mm. designed to pull humans in. It's not mm. based on how humans work and behave. So one of the big flaws with VR is a lot of people can't wear headsets. That's true. That is true. What so about, you, um... you've already excluded maybe 30% of your workforce because they won't be able to wear the headset. So I was in a um, experience center the day and they said the same thing, actually. They had, you know, for BIM, they had VR, but they said most people don't because they get kind of vertigo kind of feelings yeah. or it doesn't make them feel good or they can't wear it on their face for certain reasons. So they had an MR room, a mixed reality room, which is effectively just a light show, but you've got that kind of all-encompassing video screens and, and it covers all the areas and it feels like you're there. Yeah. Um, is that another way to kind of produce the same effect? I don't know. My question would be, why do you want to be in the VR headset space? Because if you're just going to go into there and do what you already do, nothing's going to change apart from 30% of staff are going to be sick. <laughs> you know, you're still going to do <laughs> the same no old idea, behaviors yeah. and the same. So, and that's why I love Cube because it's designed based on human behavior. So it's designed with how to get humans working together in a really good way that's positive for them and has you have fun and you deliver really quickly and you're engaged rather than saying let's you know let's build some flashy tech and then put everyone with a little thing on and you're in there going well what do we do now and you all sit down someone pulls out the standard agenda <laughs> and the opinions from the opinionated person starts getting you know it's no it's mm. no different because it's not changing anything well, I was speaking to Joe Lucas um, last week. She was also on the pod and we were talking about this human machine interface type element and you can go too far, but then you, you might not do enough, you know, to think about the people. So when you do these things, you know, why, what's the purpose of it? I think you're right. You know, do we really need it? Uh, that's also a, a point of, of not introducing too much change to the change process in itself. Um, I tend to go to the extreme because I'm passionate about it, but it, it can be another resistant factor if you've got too many moving parts. Yeah. Um, I want to bring Dale into this because Dale's been listening and dropping in and out and having a bit of fun with his internet. Dale, are you still there? Can you hear me? We can hear you loud and clear, sir. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, it's been a pleasure because I've been able to listen to everything. Um, you've obviously not been able to see my camera move or, or picture move, but hopefully you can hear me now and see me. Um, but it's fascinating just listening to you there, Tammy, about all the various aspects. I mean, as Val says, we've had Idea being on here before. Um, and I want to move slightly onto the topic of, you know, ninja moves on, on projects and change. Yeah. And first of all, what is a ninja move on, on, on a project? Or what is, is it actually physically or theoretically taking moves from ninjas? <laughs> and applying them and sneaking in and poisoning the ceo <laughs> nobody sees you and then you um, ninja bomb out when you know the shit is the fan yeah but nobody, nobody's seen you because it's ninja um yeah i can't remember where we coined the phrase or where it came up with because I, I the title came after i'd written the book but it was really it was kind of just my learning really of trying to get change done and it was always people that got in the way the naysayers, the blockers, the, you know, the governance people, you can't do that because, 
and trying to understand why they were saying no and trying to find ways to shift again behavior some people are afraid of change so they'll say no some people don't want to do any work so they'll say no some people have really really good reason so rather than rather trying than to you know do another presentation and do some communication and this is a really good idea because it was actually about working individually it sounds like it's loads of work but it saves so much time in the long run finding out who all your people are that you need to do the change so who are your key real real people not stakeholder groups because that's pointless um, but who is it you actually need to do something that will allow you to deliver your change and then working with them finding ways to engage with them in a way that they don't know that you're trying to get them to change their mind <laughs> but shift you know understanding them really understanding it from their perspectives shifting things around quite often you they would come up with your idea and you would just let them have it but it didn't matter because you're getting the outcomes that you wanted so it's 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 doing and and you know it's it was a play on on the old ninja thing but it's doing it without anyone really noticing but for good cause you know you're not trying to persuade people to do bad things but you know what outcomes are needed you you're getting an understanding of why people are against it and then trying to work with them um, not in a really obvious way but just spending time with them going and finding out you know there's the Del Carnegie book still stands you know how to make friends and influence people um, it's just knowing something about someone before you go in for a meeting with them knowing they've got dogs or that they've got kids at school or you know getting just making those real real connections really engaging with people and we talk about engagement's another one of those words that's banded around nine times out of ten people just it's communication and it's just one way we've we've communicated we've told them what we're doing that's not engaging with them that's just sending them an email with loads of information so really really engaging with the key people that you really need to enact that change and if you do it well they'll they'll all become advocates and it saves you then you can then you're just good to go because then they want the solution that you're going to put in place so rather than thinking that's a waste of time and leaving it till later do it right up front which is again why I think change managers need to be very good at facilitating conversations, coaching conversations, all of that stuff, because it's really about the people's side. No, absolutely. And um, I heard everything there, although you were freezing a little bit. I hope you can still hear me. Um, I then wonder, Ninja's sort of trained for years, decades. How might a project ninja train and gain their skill? <laughs> Um, when it comes to change management, mm -hmm. is there, you know, the right way to go about it? Or, you know, do they get their different, you know, white belt, yellow belt, green belt, et cetera, till their black belt? Um, if if ninjas even get belts, I don't even know. Um, how, how do you go about acquiring the skill? Um, yeah, we, we haven't got belts, but we do have a dojo that we're creating. I think, um, well, read my book. <laughs> That's a good start. That's a nice plug there, isn't it? Good plug. Um, <laughs> I think if you stop focusing on process and start focusing on people and stop beating yourself up if you get it wrong and learn from it. So there's a lot I learned by getting things wrong. The best way to learn is to get things wrong. That's how your brain learns. If you think about going and learning a new language or learning to play tennis or learning the piano, you will practice and practice and practice at the same chords until you get it right. If you got it right the first time, you won't have learned how to do it. Just be a fluke. So getting things wrong is how to learn. So be willing to get it wrong, but make sure you do the learning from it. Use it as smart failure. What have I learned? What will I do differently next time? Don't leave your lessons learned to the end of the project. Do it as you go, do it on a daily basis. So it is about, and it, you can do it by stealth. So it's about small moves, small things, learning, testing, trying, um, and just always thinking about people. The other thing I, all, I did try and do as well, um, once I'd kind of got into this way of working was however bad you might have a response from somebody. So if someone's, you know, they're shouting at you or they're really having a go at what you're doing, try and think that you don't well you don't know what's going on in their head so a you don't know why they're reacting like that but b they might have other stuff going on in their head so just being a little bit more empathetic towards that rather than reacting it's quite hard to do because your brain's gone into fight mode again someone's fighting you you go into fight mode but if you can just pause and think actually they've got stuff going on 
can be more empathetic, do a bit of coaching conversations, you'll, you'll shift them quite easily and you'll probably put them in a really good place and they'll remember you for it. Yeah. So doing that That's a, a lot point, all the time. You, you, <laughs> yeah. And you talk about, I guess, marginal gains. And often when you, when you're in that space and you, and you're nudging, um, you don't realize we're making marginal gains. So perhaps are there, are there some signs or tips that you can give listeners to say, actually, when you see this happening and it doesn't feel like there's change, actually it is. Because often we, we as you say, we go and we try and, you know, ninja stealth mode. Um, yeah. And often people look for this big light switch to go, okay, it's happened. But it's, 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 I guess it's like training for something or going to the gym and, you know, lifting heavier and heavier weights. Absolutely. It's incremental yeah. and it's very yeah. slight. So at which point can we, can we stop and look back and go, okay, I can see the path. I can see the tra trajectory. Um, it's, it's not an easy thing. I don't think for a lot of people to, to do. No, I don't, I don't think it is. And because we're all so busy and we've all got lots to do and we're all, you know, we are process driven when in this space, um, we've all been on the courses and all that. so and it's missed out that human bit so that I think there's you know doing it with a team is a good thing to being aware of it as a team so you can share you know, and again do your lessons learned your review of it uh, we have something called action replay do that with the team every, you know what's worked well this week in this space and capture that as you go because those little boosts and those little celebrations of this works really well increases your dopamine so that makes you feel and then you know so it's all of that brain chemistry that you're doing to yourself which will give you more energy and stop you being in the fear state so when someone is attacking you i know not physically but you know they're attacking your project you're in a much better place to deal with that and that's you know, one of the courses i deliver is on neuroscience for change managers it's about understanding that and really knowing why am I feeling like this? What's going on in my brain? What's switched on? What's switched off? And being able to shift that with some really simple tools. So that's that's another way to do it. It's, you know, just learn some of that. It will give you the tools that you need to just stop yourself responding and help somebody into a different space. So it is incremental. Um, it's not, you know, it's not massively obvious. And pe people say, well, if you didn't do that, you might have succeeded anyway. You'll never know. But if you get to deliver your program or your projects and the outcomes that you wanted, and it was pretty plain sailing because no one was standing in your way every day, then I think you've cracked it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is an interesting one because often we, you know, how many really stop and say, what is my success criteria? And often when you do that, it's about the end outcome, not yeah. about these celebrating these little mini milestones along the way. And I quite like that idea. Did you say weekly you celebrate what's happened, the good things? Um, with with the teens that I cool. support, we we actually, we quite often do it every day. So the Cube oh, team wow. does it every day. We um, get together for coffee for 10 minutes and we say, what what have we got? What have we done since yesterday that we're going to celebrate? So we get the nice, well done, everyone. And then what are we doing for the rest of the day or tomorrow? So we all know what everyone's doing. And that's that's a habit we do every day. Stops you having team meetings, you're doing the celebration, you can ask for help, everyone knows what's going on without having to send lots of information out. So yeah, but celebrating is really, really important. And I don't, you know, I, I don't think we do that enough. We might do it at the end of a sprint if you're doing agile, you might do it after two weeks, but then you're straight back in again. So having those little dopamine surges that make you feel good, and then you get the endorphins. It's going to make you more productive and your brain's going to be happy because it's it's in the good place again. So lots of those things you can do in a team that helps. So even if you're having bad days, they can help with your own your own well-being at work. Um, so, yeah, there's there's loads and lots, loads and loads of things you can do. It is about nudging and it's about shifting your own behaviors. You know, we talk about culture change. You can't change your culture. You can only change you and maybe with your team. So getting in some of those really good habits that shifts you into that space is another ninja move. Nice. Nice. And with a nod to sort of mindfulness and meditation, I think yeah. celebrating actually brings you into the present moment as well. Yeah. So um, that that's pretty cool. But you mentioned neuroscience, I think, and that really gets Val to sit up and take notice. So I'm going to hand back to him while my internet connection is still stable. <laughs> Thanks, Dale. You know, yeah, interesting neuroscience for change. I'm really curious about what that means to you. What does that What does that mean for the 
for the layman's? So we were approached by uh, somebody I work with to develop someone in the NHS, Joe Stanford, um, to develop a program based on neuroscience for change managers, because they, again, they were facing this, they were facing this eternal problem of getting people to change. Um, and how do they do that? And how do they understand what's going on and where those blockers are coming from? So I developed the course uh, with uh, Tibise Vera, who is a neuroscientist. We do it on Cube and we use Lego Serious Play. I don't know if you're familiar with Lego Serious mm -hmm. Play as a methodology. It's a very good way because it's tactile. It's a very good way to start to tap into your feelings and emotions and a bit of your subconscious. So what we do is teach we take people through a process where we start to understand what does fear mean? What does that feel? What does fear feel like? What does jumping out of a plane with a parachute feel like? What are the emotions going on? How's my body feeling? And connecting all of that up, because we quite often don't do that. You know, our brain's in one place. It's the mind and body stuff. Um, brain's in one place nerves or whatever it is in another place we're not connecting them so being able to understand how they're connected and then we do things with the lego to shift it so you know what puts us in a reward state what puts us in a threat state and start to build that and share it uh, we look at growth mindset i don't know if you're familiar with growth and fixed mindset mm. so so uh, it's used in education a lot Fixed mindset is when you've told yourself you can't do something because you're not smart enough, you're not clever enough, you don't have the abilities. Um, growth mindset, if you're in a growth mindset, you've told yourself you can improve. I will learn how we'll learn how to play the piano grade one. I'm not going to, you know, be a concert pianist, but I can learn. So and we both we were in. Um, those states depending on what it is will change states so we all have some growth and all have some fixed mindset and quite often when it comes to change if you're on the receiving end you're in a fixed mindset you're sitting with your arms folded why do we need this so understanding that and how to shift that in yourself uh, and we do I do a really clever thing where I get people to build something that they've had a growth mindset for and something they've had a fixed mindset for and, and explore what the attributes are in both those situations. And then we connect them with a Lego brick. So what could you take from your growth mindset that you could pull into your fixed mindset that would shift that thinking? And nine times out of 10, people get that aha moment in about 10 seconds. And it's something really, really simple. It's always something really simple, but because they've told themselves they can't do it, they've not even explored that. So you can shift that mindset. And when you know about that and you can do it for yourself, you can start to use that knowledge to help other people. Again, coaching people in that and exploring what they've got a fixed mindset to. Uh, we do uh, something called SCARF profile. I don't, have you come across SCARF at all? Which is, um, it's about social pain. So there's, there's plenty of research out there that suggests social pain. Our brain perceives social pain in the same way as physical pain. And we're under social pain all the time. So if our status is challenged, it's the brain's going, no, I don't like this, it's painful. If certainty is challenged, if our autonomy is challenged, if we're feeling left out, our relatedness is challenged, and if we think something's unfair. So our brain, when any of those things happen, which happen with change all the time, what's being triggered for us? We all have different triggers. Uh, so knowing what you're likely to be triggered you can be mindful of that, which stops you reacting, but you can also use the least triggered one to offset the most triggered one. So instead of, if, if you're triggered by uncertainty, instead of like sitting worrying forever and a day about, and trying to come up with a plan to make things more certain, take your least triggered one. I had a really good example this year because I moved to a different part of the country and I've not even visited it before. Um, I had no idea what was going to happen. My certainty was really triggered. I'm, I'm quite introvert. I don't do big group stuff, but I decided that I was going to move to the new place and throw myself into the community. So I used the relatedness, which wasn't triggered at all, because I'm quite happy by myself, to offset that certainty. And after a few weeks, the certainty trigger had gone. Because by focusing on something entirely different, rather than trying to go, what if I never meet anyone? I'm never going to have any friends. I actually focused on just the stuff that I wouldn't normally do and it offset that pain. So it reduces the pain. And so knowing that for you, you can offset it, but you can also offset it for somebody else. 
So if you know someone's triggered by their autonomy change, you know, there's going to be a restructure. Manager's status is going to be affected. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to be worrying about they're going to lose the job, they're going to lose manager, they're going to move in the scale. So their status is likely to be triggered. So knowing that, you can focus on a different area to bring them in. And it might be relatedness again, it might or fairness. You know, you've come up with some actions that you could do that shifts them into a different space. And then we do something called hunting and laughing, which is about your dopamines and your endorphins and shifting that into a much positive space. At the end of all of that, um, it's a fourth session course. And we, we use a lot of Lego because, again, you can really tap into your own emotions with it and connect things up. We give the team a scenario and we work backwards and they start off with a scary scenario. And then because they've worked backwards and got an action plan that mostly at the end of it, they're quite they're quite um happy about what's happening and see it as an opportunity so what, you, what, what again kind of you scary just, what kind of scary scenario sorry uh, well just now the teams are working with there's a big merger going on nobody knows and there's been an announcement ah, okay. that there's going to be a lot oh. of job cuts so everyone's in flight flight mode fear mode mm-hmm. but we work through all of these tools and they come up with an action associated with them all and at the end of it most of them are going oh this is a really good opportunity Because, again, depending on how you see it, you might see mergers as an opportunity, you might see it as a threat, but most of them come out the other side in a red. And then they can use that knowledge to work with their teams. So they can get their teams coming out, coming, you know, using the same tools and getting the team thinking this is an opportunity for the team. We can really showcase what we're doing. We can move into this area we want to do. So, yeah, it's a really positive course. So a lot of, from what you said, decision or at least change facilitation is is around reframing the problem isn't that true yeah yeah i think so yeah Yeah. Mm. no that's great and i had you said something before i just wanted to bring back because it was interesting to me is there a point you mentioned celebrations and it's good to celebrate the wins is there a point where celebrating can be overdone can you over celebrate um i don't know anybody who has because i don't think we do it enough so there probably is um, and some people don't want to be in that space, but I don't know anybody who spends enough time celebrating. It's an afterthought. You know, you, you finish a project and then you come in on Monday and you start your next one. Yeah, I definitely over-celebrated <laughs> in my 20s, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe in the project sense. Or as, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. That's silly. I think um, you can, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and then is there is there any science because you know you are a lady of science as well you know around that praise because you mentioned dopamine and being more productive is there is that a direct causation yeah because there... again you you you're if you're so the brain can be in an away state which is when you're in the fear state or the towards state when you're open your growth mindset you're open-minded you look to explore you're you know, you've not closed things down and it uses less energy. Your brain uses 20% of the energy you consume, which is a lot of your energy. And if you're, if you're permanently in fear mode and you might not feel like it, I think we're, you know, we're just living in a permanent stress level that we've got used to and we're not even aware of it. You need, your brain needs a lot more energy. And when it's using that energy, it closes down open thinking. It gets now reminded, you can get aggressive, you're definitely in a fixed mindset um, and you're much less likely to see where there's opportunities and shift your thinking. And um, you're again, emotion is overriding logic. So if mm. you can move into that other state with the endorphins and the dopamine, you're much more likely to use, you know, be in that towards state, use a lot less energy. Um, and which means that you can actually do more because you're not burning as much energy, if that makes sense. Yeah. How much does the environment you're in affect either the adoption or the resistance of change? Because I remember being back in offices, if you can imagine the 90s office had huge cubicle walls and everyone had their own little box. And I still remember those. Yeah, the corridor of gloom, I call them. That's right. And you didn't know if anyone was in (laughs) because it was so quiet. And you had to walk, you have to literally managers walk the corridors just to check in people because, you know, you couldn't see them physically. And then they started to break down those walls and then you had kind of open plan and then you had a bit of a a hybrid model because you did still need some isolation when you were working. What's, is there a, is there a kind of a a nice optimal environment for adopting change or at least cohesion in a, in a culture? 
Um, I mean, there's loads out there on environment. There's lots of research. I don't think you can work well in those environments, but we're all different. So we all have different things that trigger us. And it's interesting now we're talking more about neurodiversity and, you know, office environment is, is a massive, has a massive impact for some people. You know, the lights aren't right, the colours, um, things that can trigger you and again, put you in that, that um, fear state. So I, I think the environment is really important. I think people should have choices because everyone's different. Um, I, you know, the corridor of glooms, there is a chapter in the book on it because I tried to create an innovative hub in an mm. empty corner that was not being used. And it's one of my first big learnings and I was told no, because it was too risky. <laughs> I'm still not sure what the risk was. <laughs> but a couple of beanbags and some fake grass was too risky but it's it's I think some of that though it's not it's the environment needs to change but I think before you get there because you go out get some budget and do what Google did it's not going to change anything because you've still got the management culture of presenteeism so there's a whole, there's all of that stuff that needs to change first because mm. if you didn't have that and you did have that empowerment, there's another one of those words. Our staff will be empowered. No one's empowered to do anything. Um, but if they if they did feel like they could go and create some space or, you know, pull some seats around and move furniture around without getting shot at, then you can start to create your own environments that suit the work you're doing and the teams that you're working in. So I don't think there's a, you know, we'll just paint the walls pink and it'll all be fine. I think it comes it comes back down to culture and management styles and all of that that really needs to shift. So what's your opinion on, you know, the work from home, 100% remote working or the hybrid model? Where do you sit in terms of office space? So should we should we be embracing, you know, people working completely from home? Should we do a few days a week in the office just to gather as uh, Tim Creasy says the gathering days? Um yeah. or or do you prefer the the very managerial style of physical I think in the, that, uh, the Victorian the Victorian era should should be an yeah. era and so <laughs> um I, I I don't like the word hybrid either because I don't I think it's another meaningless word I'm either working at home or I'm working in the office it's not hybrid you're still doing the same thing um I think there should be choice some people do like to be with people some people don't uh, I think what needs to change though is how we work when whatever space we're in, whether we're in the office or whether we're doing it virtually, because again, we've just got all of that bad habit culture stuff. You've still got the management presenteeism stuff. So all of that needs, to, again, it's down to people and how you work together. And if you get that right, then it doesn't matter if you're at home or in the office. Some people don't want to meet up with the colleagues. I think that's fine. Um, and, and I quite like the idea of, you know, teams getting together and doing something fun, do the celebration and meet up once a month, whatever it is. This, mm. I think that would be a really positive thing to do, but not everyone was going to want to take part. So um, we, you know, you, working on Cube, I know it can be done and it can be done virtually and you can get all of that stuff that you get when you're face to face in that environment. But it takes a lot to shift that because teams, it, again, it's a big change. You're telling, you know, if you go and say this is going to be amazing and just do it, you're back to the change problem. Because yeah. you're almost saying to people, you do it, you've been doing it wrong for so long. So, so there's that engagement thing. But the teams that I work with now in the health service in that space, when, when lockdown, first lockdown happened, because they were already working in that way, in a new way, and they'd got their new culture and new ways of working, they just took their machines home and carried on. There was no transition because they were already doing it. So it didn't matter if they were in the office or if they're at home or if they're in the local cafe. They were already doing that, that working in that way that was really positive culture and inclusive culture. That's that's one of the questions, actually. Great segue, because I wanted to get your thoughts on COVID in general and how the government's managed it. If you talk about probably the, the biggest global <laughs> Not managed change it, you mean. experience. Yeah, mismanaged, managed. Uh, I have my view because I'm from Melbourne. And as you know, we were put on the map for the wrong reasons during COVID as one of the most lockdown cities in the West, I think. And, you know, good or bad, uh, we all know now. Um, but how would you go about it? Because I think, you know, governments act on advice from others. So this is some of them acted on poor advice, let's say. And uh, so if you were advising them, how would you go about potentially doing that as a thought experiment? 
as a thought experiment. So I think initially nobody knew what it was. So, you know, caution at the start. But I, I my personal observations of what then happened was that precedent had been set and everyone just followed that and they didn't veer from that. So despite the data coming in, mm. there was no, you know, we're, we're doing this. We st- and we did know, you know, we were probably into the summer of that first year. We had a lot more data than I think was being used. Um, so yes, there's always that, you know, air with side of caution when you know nothing, but it wasn't managed as an unfolding project that was changing every day. It was, Eddie talks about four types of change. He has um, paint by numbers when you know what you're doing and you know how to do it. And it was managed like that. This, you know, mm. we've got a global pandemic. This is what we need to do. And it was, that was it. And they just carried on as a paint by numbers when actually it was a fog. We didn't know what it was. We didn't know how to do it. We didn't know what we were doing, but we knew we had to do something. So it should have been a very iterative um, change, you know, do it on a daily basis, shifting based on the data coming in and what you found out and what you know, and being honest with that saying, we don't know what we're doing, but we're going to learn as we go and we'll share that learning. And I don't think there was any of that at all. And it just got more and more draconian despite the data suggesting we should we could be much less draconian <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah and I, it actually it, it brought to my mind because i work in data as well tell me that um and i was i was basing every decision for my family on the data and i think you know there was a lot of individual choice removed from that conversation which again if this was a project you know if you remove stakeholders from the conversation yeah. what do they feel like they don't yeah. feel like they want to be engaged, as we mentioned before. They don't want to buy in. They start to not trust leadership. Um, you can say, you know, so the, all we saw this all kind of unravel. And I think it's the first time, at least in my life, that I saw it on a, on a, on a global stage. And much to your point, we kind of just copied each other to the point where I think we didn't know what to do next. We was like, geez, we'll, we'll just wait for another country to what they do. <laughs> and, um, and I think there is an element of, or maybe there's a gap in understanding data or wanting to interpret data um what would you suggest as well recommendations for people if this happens again you know and they want to be on the front foot they want to be a change ninja how can they better prepare so i I would definitely read eddie's uh all change um because it describes these types of change and how to manage them and something like this is definitely definitely a fog and that doesn't follow a process like a paint by numbers project would so having you know you, you still use a lot of the same tools but it's the order you use them in and that for and again that first bit is a tiny tiny step you know all chain ourselves together we're on the mountainside fogs come down we don't know how to get home but we can't stay here because we'll die you know if you go marching off saying it's this way you're gonna fall off the cliff <laughs> but if you all rope yourself together and inch your way one way and you know listen for water is there a stream is it running downhill and do that then you're much more likely to to reach safety and i think we have a lot of foggy projects and i think um we don't know how to manage them you know a transformation project is a foggy project because you don't know what you're gonna you don't know what you're gonna end up looking like because you've not done it before you Mm. don't really know but we treat them again as let's write a project plan for three years and send a team off to do it and wonder why nothing happens (laughs) very good points points indeed um tammy if i jump in there i was just thinking while you were chatting you and val about you know the the pandemic and the impact on on the workplace and and how it's changed how we work going forward and the various aspects whether you know you like whether listeners like the word hybrid or not they, they know kind of what it means um but there's, I've heard a few comments that those that have joined the workforce in the past two years don't really know the benefits of actually physically being together. Mm-hmm. And so those of us that were in the workplace pre-pandemic, we recognize the pros and the cons, both working remotely and physically together. Yeah. But there's this fear that you've got this potential mini generation of people that have joined the workforce, you know, that don't actually know. And does that pose us a problem, I guess? And I know that's slightly off, off topic of change, but that mm. is change in itself, if you think about it, because it's changing the, the around the globe, the nature of yeah. how we work. And, you know, in, in 10, 20 odd years, these folk will become our managers and leaders in the workplace. Yeah. So what is the impact of that? 
I think it's going to have a huge impact because no one's going to know how to collaborate or talk to each other. Um, so again, creating, and that's why I think we've really missed this opportunity with working from home for two years to find ways of creating all of the good stuff that comes from office life into the virtual space. And again, you know, that's what Eddie's old design is. He's done that, but it needs to be on a really big scale um, because otherwise, well, you know, as you say, they, they don't know, they won't know how to interact necessarily. It'll be a very, it will be very process orientated. You'll miss, you'll miss even more of the people's stuff out. Um, and I think in terms from a, just from a mental well-being, we're just stacking up problems. They're just, they're just going to increase yeah. and increase because these, these individuals who aren't engaging with the pe- connections really important. If they're just sat at home in front of a screen and, you know, have a meeting with the manager once a month, those connections aren't going to be there. So emotion, emotional well-being is really going to be impacted. No, I absolutely agree with you. And look, we, we're almost heading towards the end of the pod here, but I do, do want to give you just a, a couple of minutes just to talk about, you mentioned your book a couple of times. This one. Um, but it's called uh, Change <laughs> the Change Ninja Handbook. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And I think we're we're quite privileged having a look. Um, we we actually have you on a few days before it gets released. Is that right? Ah, yes. It's um, digital versions Monday, and the paperback is Tuesday. So there we go, Val. We we have the first seat before it it goes goes live. So uh, fantastic. Thank you for coming to share share your insight on that. But look, before we let you go, Tammy, um, we've got a quick little uh, feature. We usually have Machine Gun Martin, but he's obviously missing from this episode. So I'm going to take you through your paces. It's just five questions. It's called Fiverr. Um, okay. Pop quiz. All about yourself, if you're ready. Oh, okay. So <laughs> get to change really my easy. answer if I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to. It depends if you do it by stealth. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so question one, steak, seafood, or salad? Seafood. Question two, what is the key to being a great disruptor? Oh, being happy to get it wrong. Question three, what does a good role model look like? Somebody who is happy to get it wrong. (laughs) I see a theme here. Question four, are you nudging? (laughs) Question four, if you could go back to one moment of your life, what would it be and why? Oh, blimey. That's a hard one. Um, Arriving in Venice for the first time and coming out of the train station. Wow. Sounds special. Question. (laughs) I've never been, so uh, yeah, love to go. Question five. Which superpower would would you choose to have for a day and why? Um, uh, superpower I would uh, probably something like I've just taken up lock swimming so I'm going to say swimming underwater and not getting cold have you watched uh, uh, Wim Hof's uh, I, yeah, I haven't watched it but I'm aware of it but yes that is my Saturday and Sunday mornings is jumping in a cold lock and yeah. uh, it is cold not getting cold although I know the cold is part of it but being able to stay in longer without without freezing <laughs> yeah absolutely look Tammy thank you so much for being such a great sport thanks for sharing you know your insights and, and your wisdom as well and um, you know we hope the, the listeners get a lot those that, that head out and, and grab your book get a, get a lot out of it and they know where to get you now as well so they can look you up for that Brilliant. too but before we let you go any any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with? Uh, just a little bit about the book, because it's not an it's not an academic tome on change and a, this is how you should do things. It's actually an adventure book. It's story based, and you as the reader get to decide what happens. So it's it is a really good way to learn some ninja moves because you get to choose what happens next, and you might lose all your lives and die, or you might succeed and get the glory. But you'll <laughs> learn as you go. Fantastic, Val. My I'd actually read it before his MMA fight uh, in September. So uh, <laughs> there you go, Val. Any final thoughts from you? No, it's fantastic, Tammy. I, I love the whole idea of gamifying change as well. I think we've got to make it exciting and interesting again. And thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. Brilliant. Thanks for having me. It's been our pleasure. Dr. 
Tammy Wachorn. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, and there you have it, folks. That's all the time we have for this episode. But remember, as always, if you like what you've heard, please do help us pay it forward by sharing a link to this episode on your favorite social media. Once again, a massive, massive thank you to our guest, Dr. Tammy Wachorn. And thank you all for listening. Till next time, we say stay safe, be disruptive, and have fun doing it. From me and Val, it's bye for now. Project Shadow supports and is a member of Zero Construct. Zero Construct is a new working group that wants to lower carbon construction. Not everyone will be aware, but construction contributes to around 12 to 15% of total carbon emissions. This is a staggering amount and we need to reduce it. We are a growing community of people that want to help make this change. Everyone is welcome, whether you're an engineer, contractor or consultant, you just need to want to make a difference. Our aim is to grow a network of experts so we can all learn from each other and make a positive impact in the places where we work. We'll do this by sharing knowledge and making it accessible in engaging ways. To join us and find out more, please visit zeroconstruct.com and register as a member. Thank you, and we look forward to speaking with you soon. For more information, blogs, or to support our charities, visit projectchatterpodcast.com. And if you would like to sponsor the podcast, get in touch via our website. You can also leave us a voice message via our anchor page and let us know if there's something or someone specific that you would like on the podcast. The views, thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the participating individuals and not necessarily to the individual's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. Additionally, any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual.